Hello, this is Don Morin from the Pacific Northwest Mouse Meet. You are listening to Stories of the Magic. Welcome to Stories of the Magic, an unofficial Disney podcast with your host, Randy Crane. Hear stories from Disney cast members, Imagineers, artists, and more right here on Stories of the Magic. And now, here's your host, Randy Crane. Welcome to episode 131 of Stories of the Magic. I'm Randy, your host. Thank you for joining me. If you're new to Stories of the Magic, we are a positive and story-filled Disney podcast offering stories from cast members, Imagineers, artists, actors, and more, including guests, promoting a mutual love of Disney, celebrating and preserving the Disney magic and legacy, and inspiring people to live their dreams just as Walt Disney did. If that appeals to you or piques your curiosity, you're definitely in the right place, and I'm glad you're here. Today we begin a two-part interview with Disney publishing background painter Nick Gregory. I've had some interesting guests on the show before, and Nick is no exception. In fact, with his unique background and perspectives, he will be sharing things with you that I guarantee you've never heard before, and I can't wait to bring this to you. So, in this episode, Nick talks about what a background painter does, his favorite part of doing that, how he ended up in that part of animation, what his step in the overall process is, in general, and then especially with Disney, it changes from company to company how he got into the animation industry, the supportiveness of his wife, who was also a pro wrestler, how he began working with Disney Publishing, when his first books will come out, upcoming projects, his favorite medium to work in, the class he taught at the Walt Disney Family Museum last month, the distinctiveness of Ivan Earl's style, and his artistic influences. Now a brief word from a fellow podcaster and friend, And then it's time to turn the page and begin this story. Hey everyone, are you looking for a fun-filled and family-friendly Star Wars and Disney podcast? If you answered yes, then join me and my sweetie wife on Skywalking Through Neverland. You can hear us every week. We are Skywalking Through Neverland wherever podcasts are played. We look forward to having you in our Skywalker family. And now, this week's interview on Stories of the Magic. Nick Gregory is a background painter in the Los Angeles animation industry. He's currently a background painter for Rough Draft Studios and freelance background painter for Disney Publishing. He also taught a painting class as part of the Ivan Earl exhibit at the Walt Disney Family Museum in October of 2017. Naturally, before that, he had his original hip-hop songs in rotation on Australian radio and had a career as a pro wrestler. Okay, maybe that's not so obvious, but I'm sure we'll talk about that too. I haven't yet had the opportunity to interview a background painter, and certainly not one with those other fascinating parts of his journey, so I'm really looking forward to this. Nick, welcome to Stories of the Magic. Hi, Randy. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm excited to talk. That's my pleasure. All right, well, let's start with the obvious question, which may also have an obvious answer, <laughs> but just yep. in case, what does a background painter do? Okay, so a background painter is its pretty self-explanatory. You paint the backgrounds for the animated TV shows or films. 
some companies do it a little differently where you might paint like the color choices and the style. Uh, others, you just kind of finish off what a color artist may, may have put down already. But either way, you're finishing off the environments and the backgrounds um, that the designers have made for you. So is there a particular style? You said there's a couple different ways to do it. Is there a particular one that you prefer or that you're better at than the others? Uh, I th personally, I think I enjoy getting to tinker with the color first. I, th I think color is one of my favorite things to do. Like if I'm painting, it's usually pretty simple. It's just filling in the color first, and that's my most enjoyable part. So I think if I get to put some color down first, uh, I'm usually pretty happy. And then I can like put the, the style and the look and the polish over the top of it. Um, so that's okay. usually how I prefer. Okay. Usually when I talk to animators or people who are in the animation industry, it seems like they're most of the time most naturally drawn to characters or some kind of creature. It's not often I hear ones that... Uh, focus on the background. So is that kind of always what you wanted to do in animation or is that just what you ended up being best at? How did you kind of end up in that portion of it? Sure. Uh, I, th I think it's definitely been what I was aiming for and I don't think I realized all the time. Like sometimes I forgot that when I go outside my house, uh, I'm one of those odd people. Like I, I see the environment first and that's what keeps my attention before I might see who's walking past the house or down the street. So I think I've always had that uh, love of environment, but it wasn't until I got to America about three years ago to pursue working in animation that I kind of solidified that. Like it took me doing all the different areas, character design, prop design, color, um, to kind of figure it out and cement that idea. But yeah, it, it's kind of been in the background. Like I said, if I go outside, I notice the environment before I notice the people, even if it's just for a split second. Really? That's really interesting. I, I've not, I don't, at least as far as I know, not encountered anybody who has that perspective on the world. Uh, do you tend to uh, encounter anybody else that way or does that come up very often or does um, it seem like that's a sort of a more unique thing? I, th I think it's somewhat unique. It doesn't mean I don't notice the, the people. Like if someone does something out of the ordinary, then my attention goes there. Or if someone's like wearing a color in front of a building that's gray and it pops, I'm going straight to them. doesn't sure. mean I don't notice them. But I, th I think I almost, I want to see the bigger picture. I want to see everything in my view. And I think it is a, a bit unique. I think character is definitely the, the rock star position as far as the art in animation goes. And I'd say most people are, are drawn to that. Even people that do backgrounds usually have some sort of love of, of say, character design or at least sketching people. Um, I do too, but it's definitely environment first for me. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's, is there, if you know, more competition in character animation versus background? Like, are there more people who want to do one versus the other? So is it more difficult to get into one or the other? Yeah, I, I believe the character design position is probably the, the more sought after. Uh, I'm not sure what the ratio is of how many people are going for either role. Uh, there may be more background painters in the world, I'm not sure. But I'm pretty sure the character design one is kind of the the rock star one, um, that and the role that, that you would refer to as visual development. Um, I think they're the ones that when, when you're a kid, if you hear about it, or if you're going through college, um, nearly everybody gravitates to those. And even I did for a little while too. 
Okay. Now you mentioned visual development. Of course, I've interviewed Claire Keene a couple of times who is a visual development artist for Disney. Uh, And so I know that some of what she does is working on characters and some of what she does is working on backgrounds. Mm -hmm. So when you're given this, do you create, and you might've said this and I just need a little clarification or expansion on it. Uh, Do you create the backgrounds based on what concept others have given you or do uh, do you get the backgrounds kind of the way they're supposed to be and you flesh them out and expand them kind of what what is given to you and then what do you give to the next step in the process okay sure that's a good question because that's something it, it took me a while to figure out how each company and even some of the disney companies would work um so for instance some of the tv shows i've worked on a designer will have already drawn a background and it may just be as simple as a, uh, a sketch or it could be like a finely tuned, uh, thin black line drawing. And there's no color. Um, occasionally, you might get a color fill from someone if there's a color stylist. But usually, you, you'll just get this drawn background. And then from there, um, you, you fill that in and you finish off your part. And then you send it on to um, like the art director who approves it. And everything gets together in animation. But for instance, in some of the feature work that people would do for visual development, getting backgrounds in environments is a little different. Like you could still build backgrounds, um, but usually you're doing the concept work. Like you just might do a painting of an environment just to see what it looks like. It may not ever get used in a film. It may not even be referenced in it. So it's, it's a little different. I feel like in TV, it's a little more segmented. Um, and if you're in visual development for film, then um, it's definitely sort of exploring what things look like almost from a sketch stage right, right through to your paint end of painting. So it's, it's a little different uh, depending on where you are, I think. And it, it can get confusing too. Like uh, still now I'm trying to figure out sometimes how different companies work as well. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we'll go to this and then kind of backtrack a little bit cause this is a good yep. path. So uh, if there's a consistency in this, how does Disney do it? If you can tell me that. Yeah, sure. Well, for, for my own experience with Disney work, so I've worked on some books for Sleeping Beauty, uh, Beauty and the Beast, I'm trying to rack my brain here, and I think Brave as well. Um, so that process is very much like TV for the books. They have the character designers, they have the background artists, um, they do all the outline work, then that would come to me and I would just do the painting and filling in and I get to do the color there as well, which is, which is fun. So that's how their process works, similar to television. But in comparison to, say, doing some theme park work that I've done for the Thinkwell company, uh, it's completely different. It's like visual development. You would get the concept or an idea. You could get a napkin sketch from an art director. And then from there, you're the whole process. So you're sketching out a rough, then you're doing a drawing, and then you're painting the final sort of concept for a client to see. But yeah, for Disney, it's it's very much the stuff I've done is is like television. Um, you're just a, a certain cog, and you're waiting for your turn to come along. And and I love that. I get to paint and color and light, and um, it's a hell of a fun job, especially to work on stuff that I used to love when I was a kid too. Yeah, and so now let's pack up, and then hopefully we can come back and circle back around to that. Mm-hmm. How did you get into the animation industry to begin with? Uh, it. Had, It'd have to be one of the weirdest paths, I think. Um, I'd always had that goal since I was a kid. I saw Fantasia uh, maybe when I was 10 or 11. I can't remember exactly. And when I saw that, I thought, 
this is an art gallery come to life. Like my grandmother took me to an art gallery, like I think two weeks before I saw the film. And all of a sudden I'm seeing this whole world come to life. <clears throat> so since that point, I kind of knew I'd have something to do with animation one day, but somehow all these other things kept sidetracking me. Uh, the, the hip hop music, uh, that was like 10 years of my life. And then that overlapped with uh, the professional wrestling, which I solely did because I woke up one day and said, I could, I could do that. It's fun. And who doesn't want to dress up like a superhero? So yeah, I went for it. Yeah. Uh, and then I, I did a little bit of graphic design as well. And then finally in my early thirties, um, after ignoring opportunities to study animation and stuff, I thought, no, this has been in the back of my mind while I've done just personal art all my life. So I'm going to go for it. So I found some Disney artists online. Uh, one in particular was Chris Oatley, fantastic teacher. And I just learned as much as I could, as quick as I could in Australia. Um, spent many years trying to learn stuff, sold the house, got rid of the career. So did my wife. Um, we packed it in, we got uh, green cards, which we were lucky. And then we just came to America and I didn't know anybody, didn't know anyone in the industry, didn't know a single person, uh, met people online, but that's it. And turned up here and that, that was my goal just to, to get into animation. And I pretty much had to do the, the LA thing. I had to go out and, and meet people, uh, prove to them that I, I was a you know, decent person, a good artist. And it took a while. It took me about, I'd say a year and a half, two years before companies and clients knew my name and came to me for artwork. But it, it was like, a, I think, a typical LA story. You, you kind of pack it all in and, and move here. It's just, it, it took me a lot longer from Australia. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. And then... Uh, I got here and I did all the networking and met all of the people I could and, and made a lot of friends and kind of learned how the industry worked. And uh, it's, it's really just come down to chance meetings. You meet the right person at, at an event and um, you swap information. And next thing you know, they're like, oh, by the way, I happen to work for Disney or I work for Cartoon Network. And um, then things start happening. And it all happened for me this year particularly too. Uh, I worked for a lot of fantastic companies and, and on some great products. And yeah, it's, it's a weird path, but it started with me just loving Fantasia and getting to a point where I was like, no, I, I have to do this. And, and I studied, studied really hard. Was it difficult to get your wife on board with this or was she kind of behind <laughs> you all the way? How, what was that part of the relationship and the, the transition like? Yeah, uh, I'm really lucky. So um, I met my wife in professional wrestling. She was a wrestler as well, uh, which everyone finds fascinating. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I think I mentioned to her one day when I got let go from a job, when the GFC hit and I was working for a company owned by News Limited and they just cut like 150 people, uh, whoever they could at, at, at one go. So when I, when I left there, I was like, I didn't care about the job. And, and I said to my wife, um, if I ever get let go again, I want to care about what role I have. Like I want to shed a tear. Or I want to be sad or something. And I said, I, I think I have to go work in animation or for Disney. Like that, that's the exact sentence I said over the phone. And right then and there, whether she was being serious or just trying to shut me up, she said, yeah, sure. You, you do what you need to do and I'll support you. Um, and I, and I kind of said to her, maybe it'll be a five to 10 year path. Um, but I'm a really determined person. In my head, I was like, two to three years, we'll be in America. And somehow I made that happen. And she was on board with it. And... She's really supportive. Uh, I think because we've both done weird things in our life that are kind of like the wrestling and, and a few other hobbies and stuff, 
um, I think she realizes that we, we both succeed at what we choose to do. So she was willing to support. And just like myself, she left all her family and friends behind and, and came over here too. And luckily got a good job. So I, uh, don't have to be too worried that she's unhappy. <laughs> good. What's her name? Uh, her name's Amy. And if you want to know her wrestling name, it was Minx, M-I-N-X. Um, <laughs> I'm going to embarrass her. If anyone YouTubes Minx wrestling, you'll see her. She was fantastic. Oh, we will definitely do that. I promise you. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> so I know how you got into the animation industry then. How did you eventually begin working for Disney Publishing? Uh, so... I think I was at a event at, um, sorry, at a birthday for a friend at a restaurant. And I'd, I'd sent in like applications for years, even before I left Australia, um, to many divisions, uh, interactive to the publishing department, feature, uh, TV. And then it just came down to one night. I met a woman, Adrian Brown Norman, who the first time I'm meeting at this dinner with some friends, um, just started talking. We knew some of the same people. And then as soon as she knew that I was an artist, it was the, the typical LA thing. You're like, oh, swap business cards. I've got some work, see what happens. And I'd like to think she liked my work because pretty much the very next day, uh, I had an email saying, do you want to work on Beauty and the Beast book? So I very, uh, very nicely emailed back and said, oh, well, of course, that'd be great. Just you know, um, let me test on that and see if I can do it. And I'd love to. And then real me at home, is literally running around like a like a ten year old kid, just screaming like, "What the hell!" Like I get to work on something related to that film, <laughs> um, and then I go in there and I, I kind of get the test. Like I get about sixty percent of the style right. Um, but she was like, "No, you're a good painter. Go away and uh, try again. Get this right. I know you can do it." She had a lot of confidence in me, and and I appreciate that because it's one of the first opportunities I got. Uh, and then. I went away, got it right, went back in, had the nerve to uh, even ask to work on other things I could see in the department there too. And she was happy with that. Um, so that's kind of how it started for me. And, and I got to meet her and her husband, Floyd Norman, as well at, at the dinner. And uh, what an amazing couple. It's such amazing stories I've got from them. And uh, they've been fantastic for me and helped me so much. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I definitely know the name Floyd Norman. So I thought her name sounded yeah. familiar. Now I know why. Yeah, uh, I, I made sure I, I found out you know, as much as I could and picked her brain one day and had a lunch with her. And uh, I just wanted to know that, uh, like her background, and, and she's done a lot. She's been with uh, Disney Publishing since I think their first digital book that they did. Uh, that may have been like early or mid 90s, I think. So, yeah, she's been working on, I mean, if anybody's kids has read a Disney book, she's probably touched it somehow. And that's incredible to me. That's a hell of a legacy to have in the Disney company. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, so that's a great connection that you made there then. Oh, most definitely. So this Beauty and the Beast book that you worked on first, uh, when did that one come out? I want to try to find it and link to it in the show notes for people. Okay, well actually it was so all the books I worked on last year, uh I don't think they've come out, but they will be coming out between now and Christmas. And I don't know if I'm allowed to say the actual titles or not it might still be under an nda but okay um it was just in the disney princess line so it's the, the type of book you'd probably find at like barnes and noble um they'll all have the same little disney princess logo in the middle on the top or something and I'm, I'm, i can't wait to be able to go to disneyland and see it in their bookstore too that's going to be a 
hell of a day for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I suspect those are exactly the, the books that I will be buying for my daughter for, oh, fantastic. Uh, for Christmas. She is all about the princesses right now, and she loves storybooks. Oh, cool. Yeah, well, I, I do too, so I'll be getting myself copies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, don't misunderstand when I say I get them for her. That's so I can read them to her. Of course, I figured, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, actually, I've already told my wife the day they're out in Disneyland, um, we're not riding any rides. I'm just going to be taking selfies and photos across the park with my Disney artwork. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a good plan. That's a great way to spend a day at Disneyland. Sure is. One that not many people get to do. Yeah. <laughs> So you probably can't answer this, but I'll ask anyway. And if you tell Go me ahead. that you can't, I'll cut it out. Are you working on any others right now besides those that you mentioned that might be coming out later? Uh, yeah, one of the properties I already have worked on. Uh, I'm not, I, again, I can't say which one, but I'm hoping to get something uh, again that I've already worked on for a new book in that series. Uh, so I've just got to wait and, and see if uh, yeah, the people there pass it on to me anytime soon but that should be happening and yeah i'm ecstatic because it, it might take a while for them to come out but if i can keep getting them a couple times a year then uh, it means every year i'm I'm back at disneyland taking photos <laughs> right <laughs> so how about things that you're working on that aren't necessarily for disney anything that you've worked on or are working on that you're particularly excited about yeah sure um one thing which i kind of cemented just today that i'll be hopefully debuting at the CTN Animation Expo in Burbank. Uh, I think it happens mid-November. Uh, I've been trying to come up with an idea of what I can show, and each year I have something unique. Last year it was like a, a light box display of a, a painting I did, and I kind of pulled it apart and laid it up, and it, and it had lights behind each layer, and it was really cool. But I want to take it a step further. So this year I found out that it's the, I can't remember what number anniversary, but it's an anniversary for the Snow White film in, I think, early December. So what I've decided to do is my version of uh, the evil queen and her as like the old hag uh, as a stained glass window with uh, a full size one with lighting behind it. And I'm hoping to figure out how to do the animatronic dwarfs as their silhouette uh, runs behind it. And it's such a, a lofty, huge uh, art project, but I just started today and I think I've figured it out. So I'm really excited about that. Wow, that sounds like it will be beautiful just based on what you described and, and that vision that you have. So I hope it comes together for you. Yeah, me too. I'm always trying to do different things and, and this is kind of pushing me out of my, my comfort zone. Usually it's like traditional art, um, like pastels and paintings, and a bit of digital art too. But uh, to have to work with electronics and pull things apart and figure out how to put them back together or you know, make them work for my art projects, that's really exciting to me. It's something I almost feel like could push me to like maybe looking at imagineering style things in the future possibly mm -hmm. but it's it's fascinating stuff to to figure out how to make your art move and i think i think that's just the animation influence coming into it like when i look at my 2d art on the wall i always think how can i light it up or how can i make it move or make it shimmer or shine or something something different so um that's that's probably my biggest project of the year uh, and then I usually just, you know, try to work in a couple of, uh, exhibits at, um, CSG gallery here. They, they show a lot of animation artists in the industry. Um, so yeah, that's probably my biggest project at the moment though. It, it's pretty lofty. So I'm going to probably spend a good month or two trying to get that to work. 
Wow. Okay. And while you were talking about that, you mentioned kind of in passing some of the different mediums you work in. I think you mentioned pastels, doing some work in the computer. Do you have a favorite medium to work in? Uh, yes. So soft pastel had been my favorite for maybe like 10 years. I'd done a couple of fine art exhibitions in Australia. Um, not really animation based or anything, just you know, random pictures and images that I kind of saw in the world. And as I worked with, uh, I think in the beginning it was charcoal. As I worked with that, I just liked the feel with, of it and kind of got used to it. And everybody used to say it's such a difficult medium. And I, I picked it up pretty quick. And then when I started getting into animation, I transitioned to using the, the color pastels, not just like the black and white. Uh, and I don't know what it is, but if I'm getting my hands dirty and I feel that really dry, chalky feeling, which most people hate, uh, I'm really happy. Like even if I'm messing the house up and my wife hates it, um, <laughs> I love that feeling and traditional media, it can't be beat. Like I have nothing against digital. It works. Um, and I you know, have to use it for a living, but, uh, I think soft pastel is my favorite. Second close favorite would be uh, gouache paint. Just it's easy to use when you're out painting. And I, and I love doing the plain air painting. It's one of my favorite things. I, I picked that up about a year or two ago when I studied uh, with an artist from DreamWorks. And I just soaked in all this information about like painting in Los Angeles. Um, and yeah, gouache is fantastic for that. But soft pastel, if, if I can get messy, uh, I'm a happy man. <laughs> <laughs> now, you said that it seems like a lot of people have difficulty with it and also that uh, they just kind of don't like getting messy necessarily is that the biggest problem that people have uh, generally when they're using soft pastels or what is it that's challenging about that medium for most people yeah i think i think it's two or three things i mean obviously the messiness of it um it's hard to keep too like you you have to set it with a spray um and then if you don't you, you can't just put it down uh you'd have to frame it instantly you couldn't put it in a book uh you couldn't like stack it up in a box with your other pastels because they're just going to rub together and you'll lose all the, the detail. And, and I've, I've done that before early on. I, I put something against another one and I lost like two days of work in this beautiful, like shiny leather um, look I had in, in the boot of the character and uh, it just disappeared. So I can see why people would be annoyed with it for that reason. And then it, it's kind of hard to travel with too. Like when you get your pastels, they're, they're very delicate. You can, you can break them easily. Um, again, it's messy. You, you have to have like a box rather than a bag. So it's a little awkward to carry around, but it's, it's definitely something that, uh, I think is unique it, and not many people use it anymore. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't stumble across anyone that when I go plain air painting with groups that has their pastel box, except for maybe me, everybody else is usually you know, acrylic oils or gouache. So, I mean, it, I think it's just for ease of use. Everything else is easier. Uh, soft pastel is a bit difficult, but that's just me. I like trying the hard stuff. <laughs> right. <laughs> Talking about the stuff that you are doing for Disney, and one of the things you told me about that I thought was really intriguing uh, mm -hmm. is that you're going to be uh, teaching at the Walt Disney Family Museum. And I think you might be only the second person I've ever interviewed, maybe the third, who has mm -hmm. taught or lectured there, you know, given any kind of presentation. Uh, and at the time we're recording, I believe it hasn't happened yet. By the time this comes out, it probably will have happened. So there's going okay. to be a little bit of a time displacement here. Sure. But speaking of what's going to happen, what are you going to be teaching there? So I'll be doing a class called Landscape Symphonies, and it's a plein air painting class. Uh, it's to tie in with the Ivan Earl exhibit, which is on there currently. I think that's going till 
January. Um, and then my, my course is, uh, I think, October 21. So it's coming up soon. But I'll, I'll just be teaching kind of a, a basics of how to start your painting, uh, which I think is the most important part. Like everybody kind of gets the detail quickly. Uh, but I'm just kind of taking some notes I've put in a previous plein air painting book and really breaking it down to hopefully maybe like around 10 really key things just to show you how to build it from the basic shapes, um, how to use the color basically, your underpainting. So and it's, it's kind of the, the building blocks for pretty much every artist. But I, I just really want to put that into the, the, the class to reiterate to people that these are really important. It doesn't matter what you're doing. So um, that's what I'll be teaching there. And I got that opportunity because I've worked on a Sleeping Beauty product. So Ivan Earl's done uh, plein air painting in his career quite a lot. And they just found that was a, a good tie-in to have someone that actually works on a, um, you know, a property that was very much had his thumbprint. And then I get to teach a class there in something that he also had, had a big hand in, in his, his career and that he loved to do. So yeah, I'm, I'm super excited. Like I've never been to San Francisco or the museum. Um, so yeah, I'm starting to get uh, excited for that trip. Good. Yeah. So it's kind of a dual connection there between working on Sleeping Beauty, the book, and uh, working in a style that he worked in. Those two things came together to make you just a really good fit to do something like this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, some people found me last year at a, in a convention, an event. Uh, when they found out I was working for Disney at the time, we just swapped details. And then later on when Sleeping Beauty was added and I found out that... Uh, like added to the conversation. Um, and I found out that the Ivan Earl exhibit was on. Uh, it happened really quick. Like this was being, being in the, in the works, I think since December, January, um, just knowing it's been coming up for the Ivan Earl exhibit. And it, that's something that it's still kind of surreal to me too. Like I'm a huge Disney fan and animation and in general, but even, even before I even thought about what career I'd have, Ivan Earl was just one of those artists I, I love to look at. Like, it wasn't like I had to think about animation. Just his personal art was stunning. Just to think that in any small way I can be tied into that and an exhibition of his work and something at that museum. Wow, that's such a cool thing. Like, I'm so excited. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, his style is so different from anything that had really been done in Disney animation feature or otherwise up to that point that it really is a distinctive style. Uh, oh, yeah. you know, people, even if they don't know it's Ivan Earl, it's a style that people are going to recognize uh, as being from Sleeping Beauty. Yeah, definitely. Um, even like some family members of mine that have you know, watched the films with me and so on, uh, that Sleeping Beauty style, if they've like been to Disneyland when they visited here or something or seen a, like a poster of work of, of for Sleeping Beauty, they instantly see that. Like it's recognizable, that the memories pop in their head quicker. Um, it's such a distinctive look that he has. And I personally think it's one of the most beautiful films ever made, like regardless of what you think of the story or how it fits together, which I enjoy. Um, just visually that movie is stunning. It's so beautiful. Yeah, it is. Uh, my daughter, it's one of the several that she's fixated on right now. So I have the chance to watch it and read the storybooks. Uh, some of which, you know, that came out, uh, like the little golden book or the, um, the read along books, that have that art in it. So I'm currently being exposed to it a lot. And it really is a beautiful style and a beautiful uh, film, both as film and then as translated into some of these print mediums. Oh yeah. And I love that the 
progression of it in print media um, has been, the style has been kind of kept somewhat. So even though it might change a little bit in some of the books, and it, and it did for the ones I, I worked on, uh, it's still it's still distinct. Like you can see Ivan Earl's hand in everything that we have to reproduce of his. And um, I sometimes feel like his style was almost like the first digital artwork before digital artwork existed. Like he, he made these really cool um, graphic shapes and shapes was like the basis of how he built everything. Um, and then he had like stamps as well and how, how he used the, the paint on the, on the canvas looked like a stamp. So you can reproduce that digitally quite easily. Um, doesn't mean you can make the artwork as a whole easily, but yeah, he was almost like the first digital artist. And I feel like that's almost why his work is still so recognizable, especially for animation artists. Now, um, we always reference it. Like it's amazing stuff. Yeah. That's interesting. I didn't realize that it was so distinct in that particular way. Oh yeah. Um, I, I feel like now, even when I'm looking at my own work, I feel like every animation artist probably falls into this trap sometimes too you can follow how he built his pictures um, and you can almost do the same for your own style for like a TV show for a film and just change the brush a little or change the stamp that you're using. But his technique, even though I'm sure other artists have done it before because he was in animation already, it's, it's definitely something that's influenced uh, thousands of artists that have worked in the industry. Um, and like I said, I always feel like he was like the first digital artist before it became a thing. So he'll, he'll always be referenced, especially that Sleeping Beauty style. Right. Yeah. I know at Disneyland with the Sleeping Beauty Castle walkthrough, they had redone it for a while and kind of changed up the style. And when they reopened it a while ago, uh, in it's, I think, third incarnation, they brought back that uh, Ivan Earl style. And it really makes a big difference even there. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, I've, I've, having only been in America, like, I think almost three years now, um, I haven't got to see the, the progression. And, and my friends have told me about it too, like how it looked in the past. Uh, but I'm glad they've kind of brought that back in because, I mean, there's no point uh, changing that. Like, that's that Sleeping Beauty story and that style is so wrapped together now that just, just keep it like that. Um, it's, it's perfect. And I'm glad they updated it again. Yes, absolutely. I agree. So we've been talking justifiably so about Ivan Earl being one of your influences. What other influences have you had along the way as your, uh, as your art and then your art career has developed? Sure. Um, the biggest one for me, and it's an amazing story, uh, is Tyrus Wong. Um, I remember when I was a kid and I only realized this after I got to meet him before he passed away, uh, that, he mentioned having worked on some of the Hallmark cards for, for quite a number of years, like Christmas card series and stuff like that. And then it hit me that my grandmother had been giving me his Christmas card designs since I was a kid. This was even before I saw Fantasia. So his artwork had been in my life, even when I didn't know that it was there. And I'd always appreciated it. And I kept some of those cards uh, when I was a kid and put them away in the drawer. Uh, and then as I got older and got into pastel, I realized when I you know, looked online or looked through books that his artwork was also heavily influenced by that medium. Uh, not all of it, but some of it was. And so that influenced me. And then as I get into animation even more, uh, I realized that like Tyrus Wong is part of the animation industry because of Bambi, like the influence he had as 
one of the really the first major concept artists, like his style influenced the entire film. And then it, it just blew my mind that all these things came together when I met him and I, I got to see the documentary about him. Um, and it was, it was a weird moment to realize his art had been there since I was a kid. I was like, wow, it's incredible to, to think about how your influences shape your life and, and you don't even realize. So he, he, he was huge for me um, and still is. Every time I, I struggle with a piece of artwork, uh, I just go to one of his books and I have a look and it's perfection. Like he can do the most simplest, quick painting and it's perfect. It doesn't need anything else. I mean, you look at the backgrounds in the Bambi films. Um, he doesn't have to draw detail. It just says everything. So he, he's one of the biggest uh, influences on me for sure. And I think he will be for a long time. Like his designs, his color choices, everything. Just perfect. Yeah, Bambi is another one of those films that really is a visually beautiful film. And you don't even realize when you're watching it, I don't think, yeah. that no. so much of the detail is not in the background. Like he does such a great job suggesting it that you just fill it in. And if someone tells you something's not there, you don't believe them. I've had that happen yeah. to me. Someone tells me a certain piece. I can't remember any specific examples, but they say something isn't there. And I, I'm just sure it is. I have to go back and look and they're right. Whatever I thought was there, he suggested through what he had done. And I was convinced. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, same for me too. Um, it was a while between viewings of that film. And I remember the last time I watched it, the same thing. I was convinced that I saw like a full forest behind a certain scene or I saw... Uh, an animal or I saw a particular heavy bit of lighting somewhere. Uh, and then you watch it again and you're amazed that it's just the suggestion of things. Like it almost feels like that he's just simply put like a thumb stroke of pastel or something on the page. And somehow magically you get the feeling that it's shining through trees and leaves and uh, just genius. And if I even get close to that stage uh, in my career of being able to do things that simplistically, but have them work that well, um, even once I'd be happy if I, if I nail that in some paintings, like I always go, Oh my God, I did a Tyrus Wong <laughs> and it just makes my day. So yeah, he's, he's always going to be one of my favorites and, and I, I cherish watching, uh, the Bambi films films. Um, not too often. I watch them every couple of years. So that, that new feeling of going, Oh, I noticed something different always comes back. Right. Okay. Any other influences that you want to mention? Sure. Uh, I think, I think Mary Blair had an influence. That brings us to the end of this week's show. A very special thank you to Nick Gregory for being my guest and to you for listening. If you're currently doing something because of your love for Disney, you've written a book, created a website, you're blogging, writing, or performing music, art, whatever it may be, and you want to tell people about it and why it matters to you, I want to hear from you. I also want to talk to and hear from people who've worked for Disney, like Nick. And if you're a Disney guest of any Disney experience, or you've had an encounter or an interaction with a cast member that made some extra Disney magic, or really if you've just had any special Disney experience that you want to share, I'd love to hear from you too. For any of these, email me at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call the listener feedback line at 734-23-STORY and tell me about your experience, just like Nick did. Subscribe to Stories of the Magic in Apple Podcasts, the Xbox Music Store, on the website, Stitcher Smart Radio, or through Google Play Music. 
If you like the show, please rate and review it in iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or wherever else you listen to the show and can rate it. It really helps. And if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, visit storiesofthemagic.com and leave a comment on the show notes for this or any episode. While you're there, check out the show notes for useful links from each episode. Like this one, you're going to probably want to see the links to those YouTube videos that Nick was talking about for his wife wrestling. And I've also got some for him, which we're going to talk about a little bit in the next episode. Like the podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash stories of the magic. Follow the show on Twitter at twitter.com slash stories of magic and tweet out that you're listening or pin it on Pinterest. Tell your friends about the show. Keep letting others know that you're listening so they can join in on the magic too. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Stories of the Magic. There will be other days and other stories. And this tale continues next time. You've been listening to Stories of the Magic with Randy Crane. If you have feedback, want to share a story of your own, or even be a guest on the show, write to Randy at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call our listener feedback line, 734-23-STORY. And don't forget to visit the website, storiesofthemagic.com, for show notes from this and every episode, and to leave your comments. Thank you so much for listening, and remember, live your dreams and make the magic in your world.